Well, good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? Hey, if I haven't met you or if you're watching online and we haven't met, my name is Mike Lotzer. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we are in a sermon series called Lessons from Lockdown. This is the third part of that. We're in the book of Philippians. And Philippians is actually not a book. It's a letter that a man named the Apostle Paul wrote a long, long time ago. Paul was so convinced that Jesus Christ was God the flesh coming after us, entering our human history, living for us the life that we can't live, the perfect life, dying in our place so that sins can be forgiven if we want that to happen, and then coming to life, being raised again so that we can be with him in eternity. He was so convinced of this that he gave his life to proclaiming the gospel message, and that didn't always go well for him because he was a Roman citizen, and Rome really was not interested in a truth claim like that. You could believe in a lot of gods at the same time, um, and that was kind of fine, but you can't say there's one God. And you can't say that there's a God who's even more important than Caesar, the emperor. And so Paul finds himself in prison, and we get this letter handed down through the ages called Philippians. He's writing to a church in Philippi, uh, Philippi was kind of a, a rough church plant that he had planted years earlier, but he's very grateful to them because they have sent a runner through hostile territory to bring him food. Did you know in the ancient world, in ancient prisons, they didn't give you food? A lot of prisoners just starved to death in prison. You were expected to figure that one out on your own while you're in prison. So you can't work and generate income, so you better have some friends who are going to come and feed you or send you some resources to buy food and work that out with the guard or whatever. He's chained to the Praetorian Guard. These are not nice people. They're very difficult. They're kind of like the special forces, secret police of the ancient prison guard. He's a political prisoner, and so that means he's on death row. He's unjustly in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die, and he writes this really happy letter. The whole letter, it's very short, has 17 references to joy or happiness, rejoice, and, and it's a higher happiness word ratio than anything else he writes or anyone else writes in the New Testament. And so you've got to ask the question, and that's what we've been asking in this series, Paul, are you okay? Like, are you mentally okay? Because why are you so happy in chains? Today we're going to read um, just a little section from chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1, verse 19. I'm reading uh, the NIV, and uh, feel free to turn in your Bible or smartphone if you'd, if you'd like to do that. Paul has this to say, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is God's word. So Paul is kind of showing us in that little 
part of the letter that he has a choice to make. There's a dilemma in front of him. Just two options. Option one, when he goes to trial, he'll just get up and be brave and say, yep, I am proclaiming Jesus is better than the emperor. There is one way. It is the gospel. And really just let him have it, fully expecting to be put to death for that. But he sees another way, too, because he's a Roman citizen, and it's pretty hard to kill a Roman citizen unless they really do something wrong. So he'd have to really lean into the death sentence. In other words, he could kind of get off death row, and he sees that opportunity. He could say diplomatically, this is what I preached. I'm not, I'm not taking that back. This is what I believe, but by law, you can't kill me for that. He could advocate for himself, and then he could kind of limp all the way to Philippi, make a big, dangerous journey, and he could become the thank you note, the real in-person thank you note, instead of just sending this letter. And he's a verbal processor. Are you a verbal processor? I am. Most preachers are. Um, and he, he's kind of probably dictating this letter. He's like, man, what should I do? I, if I just die, if they put me to death, that actually would be the best option because it would be such a relief for me. But if I keep going, that would be a benefit not only to these dear people who have kept me alive through their running of food to me, it would also honor God. And it would store up more rewards for me. You see, Paul really believes that there are rewards for how we honor God. Not salvation. Salvation's a free gift. If you want to be with God forever, just accept Jesus in your heart. Ask for forgiveness, and it's activated. But there are rewards investments, 401ks, some, that's mysterious to some extent, but Paul clearly believes that. And so he's torn, and then he comes to the conclusion, you know, I think the right thing to do is to keep on going. And that's, that's really what I want to talk about in the brief time we have today. What do you do when you bump into those moments or seasons of life when you say, why should I keep on going? Why keep on going? It'd be so easy just to stop. Stop being faithful. Stop loving. Stop sacrificing and serving. Stop being a good parent and just be a checked out parent. Stop honoring God by taking care of your body. Stop doing the right thing. Stop fighting temptation. I just don't want to keep going. Paul's beaten up by this point. <laughs> he was tortured in prison. He's probably got broken bones that didn't heal right. He's been stoned several times, and I don't mean Denver, Colorado stoned. I, I mean, like, people pick up rocks and throw them at you with the intent to kill you stoned. And, and he's probably looking down the barrel of miserable circumstances if he keeps going. And he's thinking to himself, I know that the best is yet to come. The life that awaits the follower of Jesus Christ after we pass through the door of death is far better than anything we'll ever experience here. And you, you see, the thing about Paul is he, he just left nothing on the field. He has played himself out, and he's tired. And so it's not like he's saying, I just want to get off death row so I can go on my vacations again and get back to normal. He's saying, if I get off death row, it's very possible the pain could increase for me, not decrease but I think I'm supposed to keep going. So when you are faced with that question in your life, and if you're honest, some of you, that's where you are right now. Why keep going? What is the biblical logic? What is the answer from Philippians? 
there's a few, there's a few answers to the question. First, if you're taking notes, why keep going? Part of honoring God in life is honoring God in death. You see, uh, Paul clearly believes that part of living a good life, a life well lived, is finishing well, dying well. This is an er Aristotle put this forward and really popularized that in the culture. But, but it's true, even biblically, that God cares about the decisions you make from cradle to grave. And it's also true, if you think about it, that how we choose to die and how we choose to end things, that actually has echoes, doesn't it? Do, do you notice that people almost have more influence after they die, certain people, than, than in their lifetime? Certain, certain authors like C.S. Lewis, after he died, everybody bought C.S. Lewis's books way more than in his lifetime. More records by Prince have been purchased after Prince died than his entire lifetime. This, so, so there's a legacy aspect, and how we live matters, but how we choose to die matters. And Paul is not contemplating suicide, but he, he kind of knows that all I have to do is, is basically not defend myself like Jesus did in an unjust court system, and they will put me to death. And maybe that will give courage to the martyrs. So it, that would be a sacrifice that maybe would be acceptable, and more people would stand up and be willing to be a martyr if necessary, like Stephen in the book of Acts. And so he's, he's rationalizing this. But then he goes, well, why would I keep going? Well, I want to honor God in my life and my death, and I think it would honor God more if I choose the harder path. When I was in Iraq in 2009, my chaplain assistant was walking to the chow hall. Very hot day, probably 120. Um, you don't want to be in 120 for very long. <laughs> and so walking is kind of not accurate. You kind of shuffle to get out of the, the oven-like heat. And some other guy was walking, you know, with his head down, it's M16. Jonathan, my chaplain assistant, said hi to him. The guy said hi, but he saw something in his eyes. And so he runs back, and he said, are you okay? Are you really okay? Within 15 minutes, uh, Jonathan brought this soldier to my office, and, and the soldier confessed to me I was on my way to take my own life. And I would have. Suicide has gone up dramatically in this global pandemic, in this disruption. Uh, we don't have official statistics yet, but that's just a fact. And it is a fact that some of you who are hearing me right now, online or in person, have thought about taking your life. You've thought about what a relief it would be. You may have even entertained the, the dark logic that comes over us when we go to this dark place, that the world would just be better without me in it. And if that's where you're at, or if that's where you find yourself in the future, take a lesson from the Apostle Paul. Stop and think to yourself, part of honoring God in life is honoring God in death. And maybe the way I honor God in death is to keep going, even if it might mean more pain. But that's not really the only answer to the question according to our text. God generously rewards those who keep going. That's another part of it. 
And that would be the second point if you're taking notes. Philippians 1.21 says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, well, that's verse 20, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That word gain is a is, uh, mer- merchantile word in Greek. And, and so this kind of gets us into Paul's frame of thinking. He really believes that there is a reward waiting for all of us, for our faithfulness. Every time you resist sin, when it's really tempting to just give in, God is pleased and God's going to reward you for that. Just like a good father would reward positively a child who's trying to do the right thing. Every time you forgive somebody, and it's so hard to forgive, you're literally storing up treasure in heaven. What does that look like? I don't know. Paul doesn't fully know. But maybe part of it is just as simple as seeing the face of our Heavenly Father light up. I was a college athlete, and um, one of my coaches was just kind of a hard-to-please coach. Any, anybody have a coach that they just, you know, you just, you'd break a record or set a record, and it's like, you know, they'd barely crack a smile or a high-five? Um, we had a relay that, that did really well one year, and, and it, he totally broke character. He was so happy. He was so excited for us. It's like he, you could tell he was very Scandinavian, very uncomfortable with how happy he was. And, and it just filled me and the other guys on the relay up with like, whoa, look what we did to his face. Like, I've never seen that man so happy. Now, that's a bad metaphor because God is the happiest, most joyful being on planet Earth. But to think that you have the ability to make God his face light up with happiness, what better reward could there be? And, and that's not the only reward. God's more creative than you and, and me. You know, you probably have somebody in your life who's a really good gift giver. My mother-in-law is a great gift giver. It's hard. I feel like I can't even compete. She, she knows what I want before I want it. I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. God's the best gift giver. So it stands to reason in Paul's logic He's, it almost sounds kind of like capitalistic. He's like, I think if I sacrifice my life for Christ, come some, I could access the rewards that I've already stored up in heaven and I could be in his presence. But man, if I keep going the hard part, I'm actually going to continue to max out my Roth IRA here and, and my con- contributions. This is going to be a good thing either way. He's an eternally minded person. Are you? Do you think in those terms? Why keep going? It honors God, that's why. But also, why keep going? Why keep being faithful? Because he's going to reward you for that. I uh, took my boys to a go-kart place up in Brainerd this weekend. Um, our little uh, Adeline was with uh, Grandma and Grandpa. And so my wife and I just had a really good time with just the boys. And, and I have a nine-year-old boy and a seven-year-old boy. And guess what? You remember this from childhood the seven-year-old's not tall enough to ride on the go-kart. And they had some other little things you could do, but, man, that just broke his heart. Little Isaac, he just, you could just tell he was so sad. Some of you probably have, like, traumatic counseling needs that you need to work with a therapist from, as you remember, and this is going to bring that up and trigger you. But, but, I mean, he was just so sad, right? He was just like, what do you mean? And, and, and the thing about, like, sneaking your kid in, 
If they're not tall enough, that, that might work in some instances, but go-karts, not so much, because they literally can't hit the pedal. So like I had to like show him in an empty go-kart, let him sit in it, and he just looks down, just big crocodile tears. And then he, and then he wants to give up. I want to go home, you know? Yeah, he wants the relief, just like Paul wanted the relief. And I said in the parking lot, you know, well, we could do that. I'm trying to be creative. And I said, what if you went in one of these junior go-karts? And they're really made for like five-year-olds, six-year-olds, babies, you know. They go slow. And, uh, but it, we talked the guy at the go-kart place into putting a junior cart on the big track. And he goes, it won't go fast. And I said, well, what if I get in a go-kart and I'll go next to you and we'll go and we can pretend we're into Star Wars right now that, that I'm a TIE fighter and you're an X-Wing and, and all the cars that will pass us will be like asteroids. We'll be fighting in an asteroid field. It'll be fun. It actually turned into like one of the best memories I've ever had with him. He thought it was amazing. I mean, it was dangerous because these guys are whipping by us and we're going really slow. Oh, watch an asteroid, you know, like don't hit my kid, you know. But, but it went, for him, it was a reward. And he would never have had that memory and that experience with his father had he just said, I'm just going to go home. Now, I'm limited in my creativity. I kind of maxed my brain out. But God is not. What does the Heavenly Father have in mind for you this Father's Day if you just agree to keep going? You have no idea. But here's the thing. If you don't keep going, you will never know. So Paul keeps going. Why keep going? Thirdly, your willingness to keep going is an essential service. We've talked in this pandemic about some people are in an essential service and some people are non-essential and we fight over which ones are. And It seems from the text and from the story of the Apostle Paul that what God was really interested in was just Paul's willingness. He's verbally processing to be with Christ, to access my rewards now would be the best case scenario. It'd be relief. I really want the relief and the rewards, but to keep going would help these other people. You see, Paul has gotten to realize that the point of the human experiment, living our short years on life, is to leave it all out on the field and pour yourself out in love and service for others in such a way that honors God. And so he, he's picturing these Philippians and how, how honoring it would be if he could just make it in person and say, thank you. But here's the thing. If he would have shown up, we wouldn't be reading Philippians. It wouldn't likely be included in the canon of Scripture. The fact that we have this letter and other obvious facts in Scripture and archaeology and sociology and history, we know that Paul never made it out of prison. God actually, in other words, gave Paul the relief he wanted more than anything, but not until Paul first showed God that he was willing to keep going. Isn't that kind of how the best parents parent? We, we want to give our children relief from the pain that they're experiencing, but if we're trying to train them to know that life is all about loving others, if we're trying to grow them up in their character, we're willing to push them. We're willing to allow them to be in a circumstance that is uncomfortable and even painful, and it's hard for us. And the minute they learn their lesson, they, they're willing to do it, 
a good parent's going to relieve that pain when they can. God's a better parent than you. Fathers, he's a better father than you. Mothers, he's a better mother than you. And he will bring relief. And that's really, that's really the last idea. God, not you, is responsible for your relief. God, not you, is ultimately responsible for your relief. That doesn't mean you can't take in a leave when your back hurts or, you know, you can't get a massage if you're in physical pain or you can't access good mental health if you're in mental anguish or we can't comfort each other and relieve other people. But when it comes to ultimate relief, that's God's role. And so to make it a little more serious, some of you are thinking of just stepping into God's role and saying, I'm going to decide to relieve myself by stopping my faithfulness. I'm just not going to try anymore. I'm just going to check out. I'm going to escape. And you know where this leads. Addiction, shallow character, a life that is not well lived. It's just, it's just a blur of Netflix and ice cream. But that's really not your role. And, and for those of you who are thinking about taking your life to make it very serious, that's also not your role. God gets to decide, not you, when you meet him face to face. Now, I have friends and, and loved ones who I know who have made that decision and taken their life, and, and it's been so painful. Several months after the story I told you about in Iraq where that young man really was kind of rescued by my chaplain assistant, and he didn't take his life. I, uh, several months later, I found the body of a fellow officer, army officer, and a friend of mine who did take his life. It was really hard for me. It's hard to this day when I think about it. And in the strange universe that God has created, and that sin and selfishness has broken, temporarily broken, we're allowed to make that decision. God is not always going to stop us from that. I think God does intervene often, more than we realize. He intervenes through people like Jonathan in that instance. But if you are thinking of saying, I just not, why keep going? I just can't keep going. Take a lesson from, from, the, from the Apostle Paul here. Consider that part of honoring God in life is honoring God in death. And that God wants to generously reward you for just keeping going. And your willingness just to be open to continue living and being around, being with us, that could be an essential service. And a lot of you at this point will say something like, there's nothing essential about me. Maybe it'd be better if I wasn't here. How do I really contribute? Well, do you guys remember football? It was a sport. We used to gather in big groups and watch it. Do you remember that? Um, imagine metaphorically for a moment that you're a player in the NFL that feels a little undervalued. You know, you ride the pine. You're like a backup to the backup. And you're thinking, why do I even matter? Why do I keep doing this? I suit up and I'm not helping anything. I'm useless. But now just imagine for a moment, metaphorically speaking, that this NFL is a metaphor for our life. 
life is ultimately all about advancing the good news about Jesus Christ so that lives will be changed and all of eternity will be altered for as many people as possible. That's what it looks like to win in this football game. And you feel like you're useless and you don't matter. Now imagine that God is the owner of the team, the coach, and the referee. And he loves you more than anybody. And as much as everybody. But he loves you in a unique way. He's always liked you. Do you think a God who is at the same time coach, referee, and owner, and who really likes you, is not going to use you to drive the ball forward? And do you think for a minute that you are equipped from where you're sitting in the stadium to anticipate how that's all going to work out? What if the tiniest act of service, of kindness, of just willingness to stay around and keep going and be open to being used by God, could be used to change all of eternity for more people than you know. There are no useless people in God's universe. And when we surrender our lives and we're just open to being used by God, you'll have no idea the ramifications. Almost two years ago now, um, I was meeting with a pastor, Pastor Chad Murphy from Cross of Christ. And we met probably six to eight times I'd done the premarital for his daughter, Jordan, and she said, you know, Dad, you should meet with this Mike guy. He's a younger pastor, and you guys could collaborate because Chad's church is getting a little older and having a hard time attracting uh, younger families. And I really liked Chad, and I enjoyed those meetings, and we were meeting. But, you know, we were meeting frequently, and sometimes in life, you know, you have to prioritize your return on investment and where you're investing. And I remember thinking, huh, I feel called, on the one hand, to keep encouraging Chad and praying with this guy and meeting with him, but I don't see any benefit to Mercy Road Church. I don't really know how this is going to directly bring God glory. I mean, and I think my wife even said, you're spending a lot of time with Chad. Like, you know, is that like a strategic thing? I said, no, I just kind of feel like it should be open to encouraging him, and he's encouraging me. Well, we stopped meeting eventually, and, you know, a year goes by, and then, as many of you at Mercy Road know, all of a sudden we're approached by Apple Valley Baptist, a small church, about a merger. Maybe, maybe Mercy Road could kind of adopt Apple Valley Baptist and partner with them because they're a, a smaller church that's aging. But they said, there's one thing. There's another church involved that we've been talking with merging too, but they're also kind of an older church. And the minute I heard that, I thought, you know, that sounds too messy and complicated. Does this other church have a pastor? Yeah, I don't, the idea of somebody coming on staff that I don't know, that's, yeah, have you heard of Chad Murphy? Yeah, I, li I really like Chad. It is very probable that we're going to have a three-way merger, and Pastor Chad's going to be kind of my right-hand man here as a spiritual formation senior associate pastor. But at the time, I just didn't see the value in any of that. And that's just one little example. What if there are hundreds, maybe thousands of those examples in your personal life? Some that you'll see and some that you'll only see in eternity. There are no useless people or moments. So keep going. You never know what God is going to do. I want to end with just a very frank um, invitation. If you are hearing this 
and you're thinking about taking your life, would you please reach out? There's no shame in that. None at all. Talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to somebody on staff. Talk to a pastor at another church. Talk to anybody, but talk to us because we want you to keep going and more importantly, God wants you to keep going. And for the rest of us, you, who are thinking about stopping, you're not going to keep resisting temptation. You're you're just going to give up, not literally take your life, but you're just going to not see your life as an opportunity to glorify God. You're just going to wing it, slough the ending. Talk to us. We want to encourage you. We want to help dream with you how it doesn't have to be like that. God has bigger plans for you than that. Relief is coming. It's kept for us in heaven. Relief will be there. That will never change. Use the time we have. Store up those rewards and bring glory to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, this is a heavy topic, and so I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, just let the words that I've spoken that need to be uh, heard and applied, let them sink into hearts and minds in the right way. Father, we pray for anybody and everybody who, who is thinking about taking their life. Lord, by your tender mercy, would you use this message and, and every other means available to, to really convince that man, that woman, that youth, that veteran, that aging individual that you want him to keep going love them too much to let them stop. Thank you, Father, that we get to honor you with our lives, and thank you that we get to learn from a man who had the courage to keep going, the willingness to honor you in his life and in his death. May we have the same willingness. In the name of Jesus, amen.